A warm welcome to today's talk, Friday the 20th of October. Now, uh, most of today's video is Mr Andrew Bridgen giving his speech in Parliament about excess deaths following on the anticipatory interview we did with him yesterday on this channel. The turnout in Parliament was a complete disgrace, of course. Uh, I counted two Labour members of Parliament, no Liberal Democrats, no Scottish Nationalists, and I think there was about 12 to 14, maybe 15 Conservatives. Out of 650 MPs, this is a disgrace in my view. This is despite the fact that I'm pretty convinced that you have written to all 650 MPs, because this channel's viewed by all 650 constituents, we believe. And Mr Andrew Bridgen has contacted a lot of people to write to the Members of Parliament as well. I wrote to my Member of Parliament, he wasn't there. Quite incredible. Now, I've never heard the sound from the public gallery. At the start of the interview, you can hear the applause and the cheering from the public gallery and once or twice in the uh, in the speech. Um, I've never heard that before because the public gallery is separated from the House of Commons by a glass screen. So they must have been making one heck of a noise to be heard through that. Um, they're, they're separated now for security reasons. Um, so huge turnout from the public. If you went, well done. We don't have any photos from the public gallery. I don't know if, if it's allowed, but um, we'll try and find out about that. But it must have been absolutely packed to overflowing to make that much noise. Mr Bridges had 20 rejections, excess deaths. In other words, he's applied for the debate over 20 times. He's now got it. Um, this problem that no one wants to talk about that's affecting many countries. We've been let down by mainstream media. There's a lack of data, especially in young people. Lack of data in 15 to 19 year olds for 2021 still. Lack of data transparency, all sorts of problems that he turns out and uh, identifies. Basically a litany of failure. And um, he, he does uh, publish a data pack as well, which I've just asked him for the link to. So we'll be getting that pretty soon. Anyway, enough from me. Uh, here's the speech. It does last about 20 minutes, then we'll get the reply from the Minister, but well worth sticking around. Andrew Bridgen. <clears throat> Thank you, Mr Deputy Speaker. We've experienced more excess deaths since July 2021 than the whole of 2020. Unlike the pandemic, however, these deaths are not disproportionately of the old. In other words, the excessive deaths are striking down people in the prime of life. But no one seems to care. I fear history will not judge this House kindly. Worse still, in a country supposedly committed to free and frank exchange of views, it appears that no one cares that no one cares. Well, I care, Mr Deputy Speaker, and I credit those members here in attendance today who also care. And I'd also like to thank the Honourable Member for Lincoln for his support, and I'm sorry that he couldn't attend today's debate. It's taken a lot of effort and more than 20 rejections to be allowed to raise this topic, but at last we're here to discuss the number of people dying. Nothing could be more serious. Numerous countries are currently gripped in a period of unexpected mortality and no one wants to talk about it. It's quite normal for death numbers to fluctuate up and down by chance alone. But what we're seeing here is a pattern repeated across countries and the rise has not let up. I'll give way to my honourable gentleman. I'm, I'm very grateful, and can I commend him for his, the tenacious way he's, he's battled on this particular um, issue? I, I certainly admire him uh, for that. I just wonder where, where he found the media was in all of this, because of course during the COVID pandemic, every day 
the media, particularly the BBC, couldn't wait to tell us how many people had died in that particular day without any context of those figures whatsoever. But they seem to have gone strangely quiet uh, over these uh, excess deaths now. Gentleman, for his intervention, he is absolutely right. The media have let the British public down badly. There will be a full press uh, pack going out to all media outlets following my speech with all the evidence to back up all the claims I'll make in that speech, but I don't doubt there will be no mention of it in the mainstream media. You might think that a debate about excess deaths is going to be full of numbers. This speech does not have that many numbers because most of the important numbers are being kept hidden. Other data has been oddly presented in a distorted way and concerned people seeking to highlight important findings and ask questions have found themselves inexplicably under attack. Before debating excess deaths, it's important to understand how excess death is determined. To understand if there is an excess, by definition, you need to estimate how many deaths it would have been expected. The Organisation of Economic Cooperation and Development used 2015 to 2019 as a baseline, and the Government's Office of Health Disparities and Improvement uses 2015 to 2019 baseline modelled to allow for ageing, and I've used that data here. Unforgivably, the Office of National Statistics have included deaths in 2021 as part of their baseline calculation for expected deaths, as if there was anything normal about the deaths in 2021. By exaggerating the number of deaths expected, the number of excess can be minimised. Why would the ONS want to do that? There's just too much that we don't know, and it's not good enough, Mr Deputy Speaker. The ONS published promptly each week the number of deaths that were registered. And while this is commendable, it's not the data point that really matters. There's a total failure to collect, never mind publish, data on deaths that are referred for investigation to the coroner. Why does this matter? A referral means that it can be many months, and given the backlog, many years before a death is formally registered. Needing to investigate the cause of a death is fair enough. Failing to record when the death happened is not. Because of this problem, we actually have no idea how many people actually died in 2021. Even now, the problem is greatest for the younger age groups, where there's a higher proportion of deaths are investigated. This data failure is unacceptable. It must change. There's nothing in a coroner's report that can bring anyone back from the dead, and those deaths should be reported. The youngest age groups are important not only because they should have their whole lives ahead of them. If there is a new cause of excess mortality across the board, it would not be noticed so much in the older cohorts because the extra deaths would be drowned out amongst the expected deaths. However, in the youngest cohorts, that is not the case. There were nearly two extra deaths a day in the second half of 2021 among 15 to 19 year old males but potentially even more if those referred to the coroner were fully included. In a judicial review of the decision to vaccinate yet younger children, the ONS refused in court to give anonymised details about these deaths. They admitted that the data they were withholding was statistically significant, and I quote, they said, the ONS recognises that more work could be undertaken to examine the mortality rates of young people in 2021 and intends to do so once more reliable data are available. How many more extra deaths in 15 to 19 year olds would it take to trigger such work? Surely the ONS should be desperately keen to investigate deaths in young men. 
Why else have an independent body charged with examining mortality data? Surely the ONS has a responsibility to collect data from the coroners to produce timely information. Let's move on to old people because most deaths in the old are registered promptly and we do have a better feel for how many older people are dying. Deaths from dementia and Alzheimer's show what we ought to expect. There was a period of high mortality coinciding with COVID and lockdowns, but ever since there have been fewer deaths than expected. After a period of high mortality, we expect and historically have seen a period of low mortality because those who have sadly died cannot die again. Those whose deaths were slightly premature because of COVID and lockdowns died earlier than they otherwise would have. This principle should hold true for every cause of death and every age group, but that's not what we're seeing. Even for the over 85-year-olds, according to the Office of Health Improvement and Disparities, there were 8,000 excess deaths, 4% above the expected levels, for the 12 months starting in July 2020. That includes all of the autumn 2020 wave of COVID, when we had tiering, the second lockdown, and it includes all of the first COVID winter. However, for the year starting July 2022, there have been over 18,000 excess deaths in this age group, 9% above expected levels, more than twice as many in a period when there should have been a deficit. And when deaths from diseases previously associated with old age were actually fewer than expected. Mr Deputy Speaker, I've raised my concerns around NG163 and the use of midazolam and morphine, which may have caused and may still be causing premature deaths in the vulnerable. But that is uh, sadly a debate for another day. There were just over 14,000 excess deaths in the under 65 year olds before vaccination from April 2020 to the end of March 2021. However, since that time, there's been over 21,000 excess deaths, ignoring the registration delay problem. The majority, 58% of these deaths, were not attributed to COVID. We turned society upside down before vaccination for fear of excess deaths from COVID. Today, we have substantially more excess deaths and in younger people. And there's complete and eerie silence, Mr Deputy Speaker. The evidence is unequivocal. There was a clear stepwise increase in mortality following the vaccine rollout. There was a reprieve in the winter of 2021-22 because there were fewer than expected respiratory deaths. But otherwise, the excess has been incessantly at this high level. Ambulance data for England provides another clue. Ambulance calls for life-threatening emergencies were running at a steady 2,000 calls per day until the vaccine rollout. From then it rose to 2,500 daily and calls have stayed at this level since. The surveillance systems designed to spot a safety problem have all flashed red, but no one's looking. Claims for personal independence payments for people who've developed a disability and cannot work rocketed with the vaccine rollout, and it's continued to rise ever since. The same was seen in the USA, also started with a vaccine rollout, not with COVID. A study to determine the vaccination status of a sample of such claimants would be relatively quick and inexpensive to perform. Yet nobody seems interested in ascertaining this vital information. Officials have chosen to turn a blind eye to this disturbing, irrefutable and frightening data, much like Nelson did, but for, for far less honourable reasons. He would be ashamed of us, Mr Deputy Speaker. Furthermore, data that has been used to sing the praises of the vaccines is deeply flawed. 
Only one COVID-related death was prevented in each of the initial major trials that led to authorisation of the vaccines, and that is taking their data entirely at face value, whereas a growing number of inconsistencies and anomalies suggest we ought not to do this. Extrapolating from that means that between 15,000 and 20,000 people had to be injected to prevent a single death from COVID. To prevent a single COVID hospitalisation, over 1,500 people needed to be injected. The trial data showed that one in 800 injected people had a serious adverse event, meaning they were hospitalised or had a life-changing or life-threatening condition. The risk of this was twice as high as the chance of preventing a COVID hospitalisation. We're harming one in 800 people to supposedly save one in 20,000. This is madness. The strongest claims have too often been based on modelling carried out on the basis of flawed assumptions. Where observational studies have been carried out, researchers will correct for age and comorbidities to make the vaccines look better. However, Mr Deputy Speaker, they never correct for socio-economic or, or ethnic differences that would make the vaccines look worse. This matters. For example, claims of higher mortality in less vaccinated regions in the United States took no account of the fact that this was the case before the vaccines were rolled out. That is why studies that claim to show the vaccines prevented COVID deaths also showed a marked effect in them preventing non-COVID deaths. The prevention of non-COVID deaths is always a statistical illusion and claims of prevented COVID deaths should not be assumed when that illusion has not been corrected for. And when it is corrected for, the claims of efficacy for the vaccines vanish with it. COVID disproportionately killed people from ethnic minorities and lower socio-economic groups. During the 2020, during the pandemic, the deaths among the most deprived were up by 23%, compared to 17% for the least deprived. However, since 2022, the pattern has reversed, with 5% excess mortality amongst the most deprived, compared to 7% among the least deprived. These deaths are being caused by something different. In 2020, the excess was highest in the oldest cohorts, and there were fewer than expected deaths amongst the younger age groups. But since 2022, the 50 to 64-year-old cohort has had the highest excess mortality. Even the youngest age groups are now seeing substantial excess, with a 9% excess in the under 50s since 2022, compared to 5% now in the over 75 group. Despite London being a younger region, the excess in London is only 3%, whereas it's higher in every more heavily vaccinated region of the UK. And it should be noted, Mr Deputy Speaker, that London is famously the least vaccinated region in the UK by some margin. Studies comparing regions on a larger scale show the same thing. There are studies from the Netherlands, Germany and the whole world, each showing that the highest mortality after vaccination was seen in the most heavily vaccinated regions. So we need to ask, what are people dying of? Since 2022, there has been 11% excess in ischemic heart disease deaths and a 16% excess in heart failure deaths. In meantime, cancer deaths, only 1% above expected levels, which is further evidence that this is not simply some other factor that affects deaths across the board, such as a failing to account for an aging population or a failing NHS. In fact, the excess itself has a seasonality with a peak in the winter months. 
The fact it returns to baseline levels in summer is a further indication that this is not due to some statistical error or an ageing population alone. Dr Claire Craig from the Heart Group first highlighted a stepwise increase in cardiac arrest calls after the vaccine rollout in May 2021 and Heart have repeatedly raised concerns about the increase in cardiac deaths and they have every reason to be concerned. Four participants in the vaccine group of the Pfizer trial died from cardiac arrest compared to only one in the placebo group. Overall there were 21 deaths in the vaccine group up to March 2021 compared to 17 in the placebo group. And there are serious anomalies about the reporting of the deaths within this trial, with the deaths in the uh, vaccine group taking much longer to report than those in the placebo group. And that's highly suggestive, Mr Deputy Speaker, of a significant bias in what was supposed to be a blinded trial. An Israeli study clearly showed an increase in cardiac hospital attendances among 18 to 39-year-olds that correlated with vaccination, not with COVID. There have now been several post-mortem studies demonstrating a causal link between vaccination and coronary artery disease leading to death up to four months after the last dose. And we need to remember that the safety trial was cut short to only two months. So there's no evidence of any vaccine safety beyond that point. The decision to unblind the trials after two months and vaccinate the placebo group is nothing less than a public health scandal. Everyone involved failed in their duty to uh, the truth, but no one cares, Mr Deputy Speaker. The one place that can help us understand exactly what caused this is Australia. Australia had almost no COVID when vaccines were first introduced, making them the perfect control group. The state of South Australia had only a thousand cases of COVID across its whole population by December 2021 before Omicron arrived. What was the impact of vaccination there? For 15 to 44-year-olds, there was historically 1,300 emergency cardiac presentations a month. With vaccine rollout in the under-50s, this rocketed to 2,172 cases in November 2021 in this age group alone, a 67% more than usual. Overall, there were 17,900 South Australians who had a cardiac emergency in 2021 compared to only 13,250 in 2018, a 35% increase. It is clearly the vaccine that must be the number one suspect in this, and it cannot be dismissed as just a coincidence. Australian mortality overall has increased from early 2021, and the increase is due to cardiac deaths. These excess deaths are not due to an ageing population because there are fewer deaths in the diseases of old age. These deaths are not an effect of COVID because they've happened in places where COVID have not reached. And they're not due to low statin prescriptions or undertreated hypertension, as Chris Whitty would suggest, because prescriptions did not change. And in any effect would have taken many years and been very small. The prime suspect must be something that was introduced to the population as a whole, something novel. The prime hypothesis must be the experimental COVID-19 vaccines. The ONS published a data set of deaths by, vac by vaccinated and unvaccinated. At first glance, it appears to show that the vaccines are safe and effective. However, there were several huge problems with how they presented that data. One was that for the first three-week period after injection, the ONS claimed there were only a tiny number of deaths. The number the ONS would normally predict to occur in a single week. Where were the deaths from the usual causes? When this was raised, the ONS claimed that the sickest people did not get vaccinated, and therefore people were 
uh, taking the vaccination were, were self-selecting for those least likely to die. Not only is this not the case in the real world, with even hospices heavily vaccinating their residents, but the ONS's own data showed that the proportion of sickest people was equal in the vaccinated and unvaccinated groups. This inevitably raises serious questions about the ONS's data presentation. There were so many problems with the methodology used by the ONS that the statistics regulator agreed that the ONS data could not be used to assess vaccine efficacy or safety. That tells you something about the ONS. Consequently, Hart asked the UK Health Security Agency to provide the data they had on people who had died and therefore needed to be removed from their vaccination data set. This request has been repeatedly refused, with excuses given including the false claim that anonymising this data will be equivalent to creating it, even though there is case law that anonymisation is not considered creation of new data. Mr Deputy Speaker, I believe if this data was released it would be damning. Some claim that so many lives have been saved by mass vaccination that any amount of harm, suffering and death caused by the vaccines is a price worth paying. They're delusional, Mr Deputy Speaker. The claim of 20 million lives saved is based on now discredited models which assume that Covid waves do not peak without intervention. There have been numerous waves globally that now demonstrate that is not the case and it was also based on there having been more than half a million lives saved in the UK. That's more than the worst case scenario predicted uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. For the claim to have been true, the rate at which Covid killed people will have to have taken off dramatically at the beginning of 2021 with the, in the absence of vaccination. This is ludicrous and it bears no relationship to the truth. In the real world, Australia, New Zealand and South Korea had a mortality rate of 400 deaths per million up to the summer of 2022, after they were first hit with Omicron. So how does that compare? With the Wuhan strain, France and Europe as a whole had a mortality rate of under 400 deaths per million up to the summer of 2020. Australia, New Zealand and South Korea were all heavily vaccinated before infection. So tell me, where, where was the benefit? The UK had just over 800 deaths per million up to the summer of 2020, so twice as much. But we know that Omicron is half as deadly as the Wuhan variant. The death rates per million are the same before and after vaccination. So where was the benefits of vaccination? The regulators have failed in their duty to protect the public. They've allowed these novel products to skip crucial safety testing by letting them be described as vaccines. They've failed to insist on safety testing being done in the years since the first temporary emergency authorisation. Even now, no one can tell you how much spike protein is produced on vaccination and for how long. Yet another example of where there is no data for me to share with the House. And when it comes to properly recording deaths due to vaccination, the system's broken. Not a single doctor registered a death from a rare brain, brain clot before docs in Scandinavia forced the issue and the MHRA acknowledged the problem. Only then did these deaths start to be certified by doctors in the UK. It turns out that the doctors were waiting for permission from the regulator and the regulator was waiting to be alerted by the doctors. This is a lethal circularity. Furthermore, coroners have written Regulation 28 reports highlighting deaths from vaccination to prevent further deaths. Yet the MHRA said in a response to an FOI that they had not received any of them. The system we have in place is clearly not functioning to protect the public. The regulators also missed the fact that the Pfizer trial, in the Pfizer trial, the vaccine was made for the trial participants in a highly controlled environment, in stark contrast to the manufacturing process used for the public rollout, which was based on a completely different technology. 
and just, only, just over 200 participants were given the same product that was given to the public. But not only was the data from these people never compared to those in the trial for efficacy and safety, but the MHRA have admitted that they dropped the requirement to provide the data. That means there was never a trial on the Pfizer product that was actually rolled out to the public. And that product has never been compared to the product that was actually trialled. The vaccine mass production processes use vats of Escherichia coli and present a risk of contamination with DNA from the bacteria as well as bacterial cell walls which can cause dangerous reactions. This is not theoretical, Mr Deputy Speaker. This is now sound evidence that's been replicated by several labs across the world and the mRNA vaccines uh, were contaminated by DNA which far exceeded the usual permissible levels. Given that this DNA is enclosed in lipid nanoparticle delivery system, and it's, it's arguable that even the permissible levels have been far too high, these lipid nanoparticles are known to enter every organ of the body, as well as this potentially causing some of the acute adverse reactions seen, there is a serious risk that this foreign bacterial DNA inserting itself into human DNA. And will anybody investigate? No, they won't. I'll give well on that point. Conscious that time is tight. I, I, I uh, recognise that Honourable Gentleman is making a very, very powerful case. Does he agree with me that the government should be looking at this properly and should commission a review into the excess deaths, partly so that we can reassure our constituents that the case he's making is not, in fact, valid and that the, and that the vaccines have no cause uh, behind these excess deaths? I thank the Honourable Gentleman for his support on this topic and of course that is what exactly any responsible government should do. I wrote to the Prime Minister on the 7th of August 2023 with all the evidence of this but sadly, Mr Deputy Speaker, I, I still await a response. What will it take to, take to stop these products? Their complete failure to stop infection was not enough and we all know plenty of vaccinated people who have caught and spread Covid. The mutation of the virus to a weaker variant, Omicron, that, that, that wasn't enough. The increasing evidence of the serious harms to those of us that were vaccinated, that's not enough. And now the cardiac deaths and the deaths of young people is apparently not enough either. It's high time these experimental vaccines were suspended and a full investigation into the harms they've caused initiated. History will be a harsh judge if we don't start using evidence-based medicine. We need to return to basic science, basic ethics immediately, which means listening to all voices and investigating all concerns. In conclusion, Mr Deputy Speaker, the experimental COVID-19 vaccines are not safe and they're not effective. Despite there only being limited interest in the Chamber from colleagues, and I'm very grateful for those who have attended, we can see from the public gallery there is considerable public interest. I would implore all members of the House present and those not to support calls for a three-hour debate on this important issue. And Mr Deputy Speaker, this might be the first debate on excess deaths in our Parliament. Indeed, it might be the first debate on excess deaths in the world, but very sadly, I promise you, it won't be the last. Well, I thought that was a pretty powerful speech, quite difficult to listen to in some respects, because remember, we're dealing with uh, human lives here. These aren't just numbers. Uh, the following response is from a junior government minister, obviously the Secretary of uh, Health didn't uh, turn up. Thank you, uh, Mr Deputy Speaker. Can I start by congratulating the Honourable Member for North West Leicestershire for securing uh, this important debate. I do only have five minutes of the 30 minutes uh, debate to respond, so I will try and cover all the points 
uh, if I can. Can I start by acknowledging that he is correct, we have seen an increase in excess deaths in the last year. However, his analysis is uh, something I, I will disagree with because the causes um, that he refers to um, are, are simply um, uh, do not uh, bear to the statistics that we have. There have been a combination of factors contributing to the increase in excess deaths, including in the last year high flu prevalence, the ongoing challenges of COVID-19, we had the strep A outbreak, and uh, conditions such as heart disease, which he touched on, diabetes and cancer, uh, because we had virtually a, a lockdown of routine health services over a two-year period, many of those are now coming forward with uh, increased morbidity and mortality as a, a result of that. And starting with winter flu, the number of positive tests last year peaked at 31.8%, the highest seen in the last six years. And interim analysis um, from the UK HSA indicated the number of deaths in England associated with flu was far higher than pre-pandemic levels, so excess deaths due to flu last winter is sadly part of the answer. And he touched on the independent body of the ONS. Well, their figures show that the leading cause of death in England is still dementia, which accounts for about 10% of all deaths. But they do also look at the cause of excess deaths. And if you look at the figures uh, as of June this year, the top three causes of excess deaths are respiratory illnesses, dementia and ischemic heart disease, which is often caused by uh, an increase in cholesterol, uh, smoking, um, not having a blood pressure check. So there's a number of reasons, and they are often chronic conditions that people have had for years, decades in fact, some people, and are not uh, acute illnesses. Now, just to touch on, on, on some of the points um, that he has uh, made in, in these points uh, in the three minutes I have left uh, to respond. Firstly, um, turning to uh, the importance of vaccination, I think you know, it, it's very easy to say that there's a, a prevalence of high rates of COVID vaccination in people who have died, and that is correct. When 93.6% of your population has had at least one dose of the vaccine, there will be a high rate of vaccination in excess deaths. That is different to causality. I completely agree with them as a high prevalence rate. That is not the same as saying that that is the cause of those deaths. And the Office for National Statistics um, has looked um, that actually those who've been vaccinated generally had a lower all-cause mortality rate than the unvaccinated people uh, since the booster introduction in 2021. And a recent study in Singapore actually found that um, when they looked at uh, uh, patients who had uh, recovered from COVID who were unvaccinated, they showed an increased risk of by 56% more uh, to be at risk of cardiac complications a year later compared to those who were vaccinated. So there is conflicting data on this, and I'm not necessarily disagreeing with him, but I think we need to have a robust conversation on this and not to assume that one um, uh, side uh, necessarily has um, all the answers. Now, just to touch on a couple of points that he made around vaccine safety. Now, the regulator has been uh, taking account of those who report adverse events, and I would encourage anyone who's had a side effect from any of the vaccines to use the yellow card system to report it to their GP, because when they have been reported, the MHRA has taken action. 
If you look in April 21, uh, the MHRA reacted to rare cases of concurrent thrombosis and thrombocytopenia following the AZ vaccine, uh, which resulted in um, uh, adults under 30 not being offered that vaccine. And in May 21, that was increased to the adults uh, under 40, and particularly to the MRA vaccine in June uh, 21, following reports of a link between um, COVID vaccines and myocarditis, uh, the Commission on Human Medicines conducted a, a, an independent review, which found the incidence of this side effect was rare, but it was between one and two cases per 100,000. So when there is, are concerns, absolutely we must um, uh, investigate those. There is no doubt about it. And for those that have experienced um, rare uh, side effects from the vaccine, we had a debate earlier this afternoon about that. We do have the Vaccine Damage Payment Scheme, which um, offers a payment of 120,000 if that is uh, one showed to be... Order. Order. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm terribly sorry. The House stands adjourned. Well, there we have it. That was the speech and the uh, what passes as a, as a reply from the junior government minister i will be giving full details of the press pack as soon as i get that and uh i'm just so impressed with the uh the, the response from the public gallery there despite the fact you couldn't really hear it probably behind a glass screen but um the the the, the contrast between the apathy from members of parliament and the the understanding of the importance of this from members of the public quite quite staggering really some might say that the government in my country is disconnected from the people. 